0: Um, we're kind of in an off week, in, in a sense. Last week was Easter, next week's baptisms, and then we're starting this whole new section in Second Corinthians. And so uh, we thought, you know, it's been really fun to talk about Jesus specifically uh, the past couple of weeks. And so we're going to do that again. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 4. Uh, very familiar story this morning. Very, uh, a story that many have heard on more than one occasion, probably heard preached on more than one occasion. Um, it is Jesus calming the storm. Um, so that's what we're doing uh, this morning. And if anybody has ever been in a really uh, terrifying storm, um, a lot of things start going through your mind. I, we were driving through South Dakota one time, years ago, um, and we were, it, it was such a, a violent storm that our 15-passenger van and our 12-foot trailer just slowly started moving across the interstate. Mm-hmm by itself, I wouldn't say by itself, with the help of some wind, and you know, I was turning the wheel this way, and it was just not doing anything, so I started to ask some questions, you know, am I going to make it, right, Uh, if I make it, like, you know, this is before I was married, so I'm like, will I ever have kids, will I ever have a wife, like, what's going to happen, Uh, was I good enough in my life, you know, this is the, the types of things that start to run through your head, and And when you come into really harrowing, scary situations, such as a really violent storm. And so, uh, in in this passage in Mark this morning, there are uh, three questions that that are asked. And so, my goal this morning is to look at these questions, to answer these questions, and then to see how we can seek to uh, apply the answers to our own life. And so, that's what we're going to do. Mark chapter uh, 4... Mark chapter 4. Hello, where's my verse number? 35. 35. I didn't even put my own verse up here. And that's the, the electronics, because anyway, it doesn't matter. 35. I knew that. All right. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. So that the boat was already filling But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion And they woke him and said to him Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea Peace And said to the sea, peace, be still And the wind ceased And there was a a great calm And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear And said to one another Who then is this? even the wind and the sea obey him. So let's talk about this for a second, set it in, a, in its right context. The, the Gospel of Mark, although uh, Mark was not an apostle, this book is written in the late uh, 8050s. So about 25-ish years or so after the death and resurrection of Christ. And, and Mark actually, this is a, a first-hand account from the Apostle Peter. Uh, from Rome, it was written and it went out, and it's really a, a book about. Uh, Christ's call to discipleship Christ's call to follow him and, and there's a lot of kingdom talk in this gospel and a lot of uh, talk about what it's like when, when we follow God and God is uh, the, the, the king over what it is that we're doing and we're following him specifically and so uh, in this particular section Jesus there's such a large crowd that, that they had actually had to push out into a boat in the Sea of Galilee and so the crowd were on the shore around him and probably in some boats nearby him and he was out on the water, in a boat, teaching, and he's teaching about the kingdom. Right? This is where we get some of the parable of the sower, you know, throwing seed on the different kinds of soil, uh, throwing the seed, and, and you know, he goes to bed at night, and he wakes up, and it grows, and it produces a harvest, and he doesn't know how that happens. And then, of course, the, this, the parable of the mustard seed, a little bit of faith in the kingdom of God that, that goes a long way. Um, and we don't have time to talk about those, because that's not particular to our text, but that's what he's teaching on. Right? And so then he's teaching, and, he's, and he gets tired. Right? They're probably on the, they're on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, and they're like, let's go to the other side. There's, there's more to do there. And so the the, uh, the apostles go, okay, and they start sailing across. And, and Jesus, as we've talked about many times, is a man. He is, he is fully God, but he is fully man. And he goes hard. He's teaching all the time. And at this point in the day, he's probably tired. And so he goes to the front of the boat, uh, lays down on a cushion, and goes to sleep. Now, one of the things you have to know about the Sea of Galilee is that it is about 700 feet below sea level and it's set in between two uh kind of they're high hills not really mountains although they're kind of called called ish mountains um on the eastern side is the golan heights and on the western side is mount arbel and so what happens is these winds can come in down into this essentially valley and run up uh, the side of either side and kind of Bring moisture back on itself and so at any point in the day they can have these pretty violent storms that come kind of out of nowhere quickly and the fishermen know about these and they don't try to go out into these because they're they're fast and they're violent and they're pretty intense so this was not an abnormal uh, thing that happened although it was a pretty rough storm so they get caught in one of these storms, and, and the water is over, you know, the waves are probably falling in, the rain is really heavy. They probably, you know, the one of those rains that you can't see, it's So and the wind is crazy, it's so hard to see. And, and so they, they go to Jesus, who is sleeping, and they wake him up, and they ask this first question. They say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we're perishing? And this is, a, this is actually a, not an unfair question. Right, I think it's a question that we can ask a lot in our day. I mean just last week, uh, we celebrated Easter in, in complete safety. and our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka were you know, bombed. And, and, and you know abortion is a, a normal thing in our culture. Uh, right? So uh, storms like this, just last week there were storms in Louisiana that, that took the lives of family members. Right? The, the sickness in our body that grows and it weakens us or it kills us. And we, we look around and we go, Lord, but do you not care that we're perishing? Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's a bit of a fair question. But the question here for the disciples is, a, is, is an ironic question. Because the irony is that he is literally physically there in the boat because he cares. Okay? Sometime in eternity past, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit made this plan, uh, when when they created, knowing that man was going to fall, they made this plan where God the Son is going to come as man and die for the sins of man on behalf of man. uh, So that we could not be separated from him forever. Now, uh, what Jesus recognizes, and that the disciples do not recognize, is that our biggest problem as human is actually an internal problem not an external problem. So Jesus was here for that reason. He was not necessarily here to protect the disciples physically. He was here to uh, save them spiritually. And so the answer to this first question is an emphatic yes. He cares that they are perishing. He cares absolutely that they are perishing. So Jesus wakes up, probably a little... uh, Maybe perturbed, maybe a little frustrated. He was in a deep sleep, and, you know, some of us might go, man, how could you sleep through a storm like this? But we know, especially as parents, that every once in a while, you know, the, the house can be falling apart, and we are sleeping, <laughs> right? And, you know, I think husbands are worse about this. Guys are worse about this. The wives are like, how did you sleep through that? I'm like, huh? You know, did you hear that eight times the kids got up in the middle of the night? Nope, oh, sure didn't. <laughs> right? So so it's it's not uh, – and then when we get woke up, we're frustrated. Woken. we we'll get woke um, sorry. Uh, <laughs> so Jesus is probably a little frustrated when he gets woken up, and it, and he says he turns to the storm and he says, "Peace, be still." It actually says he rebuked the storm. Uh, the word here uh, means it ceased to give permission to. Right, so Jesus allowed the storm. God allowed the storm to uh, do what storms do, and he gave it permission to do that until. Uh, he stopped giving it permission to do that. And when he stopped giving it permission to do that, the storm ceased instantly. So then he turns to the disciples and says, question number two, he says, why, why are you so afraid? Why? You still have no faith. Why are you still afraid? Now, I'm, I would never say that Jesus was wrong, right? But in some ways, I think the disciples were demonstrating a little bit of faith. They they woke Jesus up. Like, listen, we're trying as hard as we can, we can't do anything about this. If anybody can do this, uh, it's going to be this guy. So there, but, but in this moment, in this moment, there's a bit of a contrast. right? There's a bit of a contrast, and one that we should recognize. Okay, Jesus, in that moment, was actually demonstrating absolute faith. Right? He was demonstrating absolute faith. We talk about, uh, again, here a lot, we talk about Jesus uh, as being fully man. right? He only used his a supernatural ability if it was part of what the Father was leading him to do. Okay? He, he he resisted from using his supernatural ability unless it was within the Father's plan. And so Jesus knew he had a mission and a purpose to his life, and so that no matter what came up, in his life, he trusted the Father to see to it, to protect him, and to guide him until that purpose was completed. But see, the, again, the disciples were transfixed on this external problem and not their internal one. And the disciples thought, the disciples thought they were going to die. The disciples thought they were going to die. And in that moment, they thought probably something along the lines of, listen, we left everything to follow this guy. Right, we, we you know, in, in, in poker, not that I've ever played it, but it would be like, hey, we're all in. We're all in on this guy. And as it turns out, we might've been wrong. Right? We." we we think we're going to die and we were wrong again this is what happens when they when when we focus on the the external circumstances rather than the internal problem and when we think that our issue and our problem is actually our external then the worship of god is is dictated by the external circumstances it's just when we when when it's falling apart on the outside it must be falling apart spiritually too But see, our faith and hope and trust in God is a faith in Him as as God. It's in Him as God for who He is and what He has done through Christ, not in what He can do for us physically or externally. And this matters. This matters tremendously. So the answer to question number two is simple. They are afraid because they're fixed on the external circumstances and not the internal ones. And their faith then... The intensity of their faith is dictated by how good, or how easy, or how dangerous their external circumstances are. So if we're supposed to worship Christ as for, for who he is, and uh, who just as God, then, then the third question is a natural byproduct of that. Because they just saw this guy call the storm, and so they asked this question. Well, who is it? Who is this then? That the, the wind and the sea obey Him. So imagine yourself. Let's really think about this for a minute. We go out in a boat. There's a really bad storm. One of us gets up and says, Shh! And the storm stops. Okay? We've... The disciples here, they've been with Jesus. They've spent some time with us. I mean, with Him. they spent time with us. They've spent time with Him. They've seen Him heal people. They've seen Him do supernatural things. But when you start uh, having power over nature... That's a whole different game. And that's a whole different set of of eyes that you're seeing this guy do these things that are outside of our realm of possibilities. So who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Okay, now I want to spend just a a few minutes here uh, telling us what the Bible says about this guy. Who is he? Who is this guy? So just a few things that, that the Bible says of who... Christ is and the first one is God he is God John 1 says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made so he was God that means that he's eternal he has always been he was not created he has always been he made everything all things were made through him and for him so he is God, and, and that means he has these other God qualities. He is sovereign, right? He is, he is king over everything. He has power and authority over everything. There's nothing in all of creation that is rogue, right? Nothing. Right, he gives us a lot of freedom inside of that sovereignty, but at any point, he can say, nope, that's too far, right? There's nothing that gets outside of his control, nothing that gets outside of his power, and when necessary, he can restrict freedom to bring about his purposes, because he is sovereign. He has authority and control over all those things. He's omniscient. He knows everything at all times. And he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. This is what Christ, this is who Christ is. This is who uh, Christ is. So no, He's man. right? Philippians 2 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking the form of a by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he was born. He was a real live man, real flesh. And and the way that uh, I want us to think about it is that he was deity, but he added humanity to the deity. He didn't take it away, he didn't take away his deity. He was always God, but then he added humanity to his deity. And so uh, he needed to, uh, the sins of man needed to be paid for by a man, and so he came as a man. But it also reveals to us how living by the Spirit works, how we follow God in a way that is led by the Spirit. Um, Bruce Ware says it like this. He's got this book called The Man Christ Jesus. It's a great book. I encourage you to read it. But he says this, He lived life as one of us. He accepted limitations of humanity and relied upon guidance the Father would give him and the power the Spirit would provide him to live day by day in perfect obedience to the Father. And how else could he say to us, Be holy as I am holy, if he was walking in his supernatural ability functioning as God all the time? But it, would not, it, would, it would just be words that meant Nothing but they're actually words that give us hope and, and a purpose. Because when we follow the Spirit, that is the fruit of the Spirit. That's what grows in us as humans. So what uh, what does... Let me say it this way. Um, what does adding humanity do for his deity? It, it, it doesn't do anything for his deity. But when you uh, add... The, the Holy Spirit's power to his, fle- his fleshliness. Like, when we follow the spirit, that's powerful, and that is the example that we have uh, through Christ. Uh, third, he's the revealer of God the Father. He's the revealer of God the Father. Romans, The book of Romans 1 says, uh, in the chapter of Romans 1, it talks about us being able to look outside and see that there's a God. Right? No, one's, no one has an excuse. We can look out and see that there's a God, and actually... When we look out, got, we have the luxury of a giant window. All right, now look back over here. Uh, it's beautiful outside. It's really, like, who would think to make that? Um, but this is God. This is who he is. But uh, in the person of Christ, we get to learn more and more about God the Father, who he is, what his character is like. Colossians 1 says, 1 nine says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Okay, so we get to know about God the Father, His character, how He is, His attributes through uh, the person of Christ. He was uh, the fulfillment of both prophecy and promise. Okay, Way back, uh, like I said before, when, when God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit formulated this plan in eternity past to, to save uh, sinful man, he, God, in Genesis 3.15, laid out this promise that, uh, yes, Satan... You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna get your licks in, but he's gonna, he's gonna overthrow you. He's going to defeat you. He says it like this: that uh, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. Right? And we celebrated that last week. Yeah, you, 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 bruised his heel. He died, but even in that death, it was, it was, it brought life to us. The thing that Satan tried to do, uh, Jesus defeated, and it changed the whole way that death now operates. Death now becomes, instead the pathway to death, death becomes the pathway to life. Both physically, when we die, we get to go be with him, and metaphorically, when we die to ourselves, there's freedom. Right? We're no longer bound by what, what this you know, broken flesh does to us. Okay? So, uh, he is the fulfillment of prophecy and promise. Luke 4, uh, when, when Jesus goes into the, the synagogue and, he, and he's given the scroll, he reads it and he says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, and gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. It's like they're just waiting for what he's going to say next. And then he says this. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Think about that. So he's saying that he is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Okay, but then he's also the fulfillment of promise. Of the promise. Um, 2 Corinthians 1 has said, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Every promise that God ever made, including the one to send a future Messiah, was fulfilled in the person of Christ. He is the head of the church. He's the head of the church. When the Bible talks about this, it uses marriage language. All right, this is Ephesians five. We we go to Ephesians five to figure out how we operate in our roles and how we you know how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife. But that passage is not necessarily about marriage. It's about Christ's marriage to His bride. Okay, we can't miss that. It says uh, this. Therefore, at the end of it, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ. In the church. Okay, so when we interact as a married couple, we're interacting in this earthly model that is actually a picture of the heavenly reality that we have with our bride, I mean with our groom, Christ, as we are the bride. He's a sacrificed son. Right? We started on Good Friday, we started talking about this. Uh, Isaiah 53, 10 says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, he has put him to grief. God used his own son as a sacrifice for our sin to die in our place to suffer our punishment so that we wouldn't have to so that we wouldn't have to he was bruised for our iniquities he was crushed for our transgressions he was a sacrificed son and he's also a victorious risen Savior. it's like we celebrated last week when we said the angel said what are you doing here he's not here why are you looking for him he has risen like he said he was going to do Hebrews 10.2 says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Right? In Hebrew culture, when, when the, the, the teacher was finished, the, the uh, rabbi was finished teaching, he would hand the scroll back and he would, sat, he would sit down. Or when the, the priest would make the sacrifices, he would make the sacrifice and then sit down because it was finished. That is symbolic that the work is completed. It is done. So this is who this man is—that even the wind and the sea obey him. And so, as we move uh, towards our, our close here, I, I want to address a bit of attention that might be brewing, uh, because if I'm if I'm not careful, uh, I might sound like I'm saying that Christ doesn't care about our external circumstances. He doesn't care about what happens. He, it's like he stood up and said, "What's wrong with you people?" And, I don't care what's happening on the outside around you. But the reality is, if he was man, if, if he fell in and didn't know how to swim, he could have drowned too. Right? So what is, what is he saying? What, is, uh, what am I actually saying here? What I'm actually saying here is that God cares for us spiritually and physically. Right? He says that he cares for us spiritually and physically. Like the disciples, we can uh, quickly fall into a way of thinking that Jesus is in the boat with us. And that uh, he'll take make our external circumstances better and easier, and we'll worship him when he does. Okay? A lot of us wouldn't say that this is what we do, but we 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 do it. <laughs> we live this out, right? Like how many of us are, are quick to go when something good happens? And we, Man, praise the Lord! And praise the Lord! Right? And not that we shouldn't do that. I'm not. Don't walk out of here saying, "Yeah, Matt was like, yeah, we don't praise the Lord when things are good." I, no, do that. But how many of us, when things are harder and our external circumstances get rougher and we get a little sicker or our money gets depleted or whatever it might be we go man praise the lord and praise the lord how many of us go man oh yeah there's that one passage that says consider it all joy brothers when we face trials of various kinds that's weird yeah how many of us actually do that how many go to the scriptures and say, man, praise the Lord, things are hard. I was actually reading um, in Acts last night, and you know, when, when Peter, when they heal that, that, the, the lame man, and they go before the, the, the Sadducees, and, and they, they go away, and you know, they don't pray that they wouldn't get beaten, that they wouldn't face persecution, they just pray for boldness. Mm-hmm. right And that's a different uh, thing. So, like the disciples, we need to be careful to worship God for who He is and not uh, what He can do for us. See, here's the thing. One is essentially idolatry. And one is powerful. When we worship God for what He can do for us, externally, that's idolatry, because it's about us. It just is. It's about us. It's about us and our circumstances and our comfort and making much of ourselves. And God becomes this Cosmic genie that grants our wishes. And if he doesn't grant our wishes, what happens? We get bitter. We get frustrated. We get annoyed at the king of everything. Right? And so that builds up a pride. It reveals a pride in us. And so, but, but, when we worship God for who he is, that is powerful and it brings hope no matter the external circumstances. No matter the external circumstances. One of my favorite passages in all the scripture, uh, one of my favorite stories is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you're around me long, you'll hear me talk about it. Um, but, but they are told to bow down before this statue of Nebuchadnezzar, and they said, we're not going to do it. And so they go, okay, let's throw you in the furnace. And they basically say, give them one last chance. Are you going to bow down? And they said, we don't, we don't need a minute to think about it. Right? Our God is able to save us from the fire. He is perfectly capable of saving us from the fire. But if he doesn't, you're still not going to bow down. That's different. That says, listen, is God able to do it? Yeah, but we're not worshiping him. We're not bound to you uh, in the hope that you can save us from the external circumstances. We're bound to him because of who he is. Whether he saves us or not doesn't matter. But that's powerful. That brings hope in all circumstances. Right? A little, a little different way of looking at it. Um, my two-year-old Rosie, uh, our two-year-old, um, this she, she she's crazy. Um, <laughs> she likes to fall uh, randomly, and you know Olive was totally different. Never had skin knees, never had skin of elbows. Uh, Rosie walks around with like gashes everywhere, um, and she had these two pretty intense skin knees uh, this week. And so we're you know we're like, well, you know we gotta we gotta clean them up. You know, and she was so funny because she realized what we were doing, and she started going, "That's okay, that's okay, that's okay," you know. Like, sorry, kiddo, we gotta, we gotta clean them up. So, layer on the table, you know, put the peroxide and then band aids, and she's just crying and screaming, saying, "That's okay, that's okay." But see, here's the thing: she has no idea what my that my plan is actually to help her. All she knows is that I'm allowing pain into her life. That's all she sees in her limited understanding. She goes, "Man." He's just allowing pain into my life. He's causing it to me. But she doesn't see that, actually, I'm trying to help you. It is better for me that I do this. And how many of us would go, man, if Rosie gets mad at Matt because he cleaned out her wounds, man, what a jerk he is. No, we, we recognize that that's actually what is best for us. And, and when we, actually, hopefully, as parents, many of us would go, Oh, good job for cleaning out your kid's wound, right? Because if I if, if it was only about the whims of that two-year-old, she'd be in a lot of trouble. Right? Our father, our, God, our good God knows what we need when we need it. And oftentimes, he, in that sovereignty, allows things that are hard, that make our externals hard, hard. But it doesn't change his character. It doesn't make him not good. He is actually good and cares about us more about our internal than our external. Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Everything else can go. Everything. Everything else can go. If I've got God, that's it. That's all I need. That's enough. But he also cares for us physically. He also cares about our strength. He's a good, loving father. He is the one that we should turn to uh, when the things are hard. He alone has the power to, over, to rebuke the wind and the sea. In fact, Psalm 89, nine says, You rule the raging sea. When its waves rise, you still them. That was way before Christ, right? Way before Christ. He cares about our external as well, absolutely. But so here are two things that we need to know: that we know that if something is hard in our external, God is using it to affect our internal. If something is hard on the external, God is using it to affect the internal. And two, we can know that God is working. Even if the, hard, the external is hard, circumstances are hard, we know because he cares, he is in the boat. He became flesh because he cares. We cannot say it's because of the cross. What we celebrated last week, the cross and the re- resurrection, we know that he cares. We can take that question right off, off the table. And so if he cares, we can also know that he's working and he's fulfilling the things that he said he was going to do, which is to make us Christ-like. Right, to take us down that road to make us Christ-like. And so as we close here, we're going to move into the time of the Lord's Supper. And the greatest way that he demonstrated that he cares for us was coming as a man and dying for our sins on our behalf. But listen, maybe this morning, maybe this morning you're you're having some hard external circumstances. And uh, being in my position, just knowing at a smaller church, but also as pastor, one of the pastors that I know that some of us are having external hard circumstances. No doubt. In fact, there's probably a minority of people in here that aren't. In some capacity, having uh, easier circumstances than our have harder circumstances. Maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's something with work. Um, maybe it's with school, if you're younger and still in school, or older and still in school. Um... So, as we move into this time of the Lord's Supper, before we take the bread, before we take the cup, let's really take a minute to to examine our heart. To go, man, Lord, I've, I've been really frustrated. I've been kind of bitter. Because I was really, I was expecting you to do something different. And you haven't. And I don't know why. So, let's take a minute to confess that. And I would say repent, and even as David said a few uh, weeks ago, that that this idea of think differently, right? We need to think differently about that situation. We need to go, God, I need to think differently. Help me to think differently. I was wrong here. Please forgive me for that. And then let us celebrate by taking the Lord's Supper and remember that man. God is good. He's a good Father. He's gracious. He's patient. He's kind with us, and He cares more about our external than our uh, internal than our external, because that's what we need. Okay, so I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, have the guys come forward. Father in heaven, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you so much for giving us what we need and not what we want. I pray that you would um, help our desires to be changed more and more to your desires for us, that we would crave... The things that we need more than the things that we want, that we would crave you and worship you for you just being you, for being holy, for being all the things we talked about, for being a victorious risen Savior. And so, Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us to see Christ and to know His goodness and kindness and grace, graciousness towards us um, through the cross and through through uh, our ability to believe in Him for our. External, yes, we can trust Him. We know that He will provide. We know that He will care for us, but for our internal, uh, that we trust You for our internal, that You are conforming us to Christ's likeness, and that if things are hard on the external, that You are not wasting it. You are allowing it, and You are working it for our good. So God, help us to love You. Help us to trust You more. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.